Welcome to In the Queue. I am your co-host, Andrew, and stop motion animation is my jam. Oh, man, you stole mine. Did I? I? Well, sort of. Well, I'll do it anyway. Hey, uh, this is Phil, and I'm your co-host, and I was going to say that animation need not be computer-based for the future alone. That's true. (laughs) I don't know the future alone part. (laughs) It sounded better better in my head. I was thrown off guard. All you had to say was need not be computer-based and end the sentence right there, and it would have been fine. Yeah, well, if only we could undo time, but we can't, can we? We can't. No, no. We are inexorably moving forward, forward, always. Always thrust into time itself. Oh, man, you're having trouble with completing sentences. <laughs> Why don't we just start over? <laughs> nope, nope, we're moving on. All right. Uh, if you're wondering what we're talking about, it's our new listener's choice. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about the movie Coraline, which is done uh, directed by Henry Selick and animated by the studio Leica. Leica. Or Leica, maybe. Leica. But uh, but it's a, a really great and prominent animation studio these days. But before we talk about that, we're going to talk to you a little bit about how to find us on the internet. You can find us at our website. Our website is www.in-the-q.com. That's the letter Q. And uh, there we post all of our podcasts, and we uh, sort of have our, our blog postings occasionally. Um, and we invite you to come onto that site and, uh, and engage in the dialogue with us. Give us listener suggestions and, and things like that. You can also do the same thing at our Facebook page, which is In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And there you can give us suggestions, and you can also see all of the supplemental materials that we post. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes we, we put up uh, funny videos or uh, uh, articles that might inform the, the film Indeed. That, uh, that we're talking about. Uh, and so you can find all that on our Facebook page, as well as links to the podcast on the blog. Yep. And then finally, you can find us on iTunes if you search for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And uh, there you can find all of our episodes, and you can even subscribe so that you will automatically have them delivered to you wherever you are. Wherever. Yeah. So now that that's out of the way, let's talk about this listener's choice. We have a returning Mm. listener to talk to us about this movie, Coraline. Uh, Aaron from St. Louis is the one who suggested it, so uh, say hi, Aaron. Yo. 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 <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about why you suggested that we watch this movie, and then we'll maybe talk about the the plot a little bit. Well, uh, of course, as a lot of people know, Henry Selick directed Nightmare Before Christmas, which is yes. a animation staple, also stop motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it, it's a great continuation of his career, which is yeah. way too sparse. Well, he did do Monkey Bone with Brendan Fraser. Oh, you mean like in between? Uh, yeah, in between Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline. Wow, Monkey I Bone. I think that was the only thing that he did. Did he not do yeah. James and Giant Peach? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh. So, so four movies. That was good. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Monkey Bone was the least of those. Monkey Bone made for the, sure. the biggest impression of all of his works. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> After all, they don't sell monkey bone uh, sweaters at Hot Topic the right. way they do Nightmare Before Christmas ones. Just so you guys, so. just so you know, monkey bone IMDb rating four point seven. 
Oh, that's that's brutal. That hurts. That's brutal. You got to be pretty bad for that to happen. Yeah, that's a dark chapter in Henry Stahl's life. Ouch. Ouch. Well, it was sort of like uh, it was sort of like that movie Cool World. Oh, yeah. Ralph Bakshi. uh, Yeah, the Ralph Bakshi movie with uh, Brad Pitt and Gabriel Byrne and uh, Kim Basinger. Was Bridget Fonda in that or was I thinking of Kim Basinger? You're thinking of Kim Basinger. She was the lead in that. Kim Basinger was super fine in that movie. Yeah. Um, transitioning between being a cartoon and being a real human being. Well, interestingly, while Monkey Bone was a low point in Henry Suck's career, it was a high point in Brendan Fraser's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so cruel. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Coraline. Coraline uh, is based off of a book by Neil Gaiman, the uh, very prominent uh, author and uh, comic book writer mm-hmm. um, who has a very storied career at this point. And this came this came out several the the book came out several years before this movie did quite a quite a maybe even a decade before mm-hmm. and um, was really excellent. And uh, the story concerns a girl by the name of Coraline mm-hmm. who has moved with her family into a place called the Pink Palace. Mm. Which is a, 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 a house in the countryside that has three apartments in it. Uh, the the upstairs apartment is occupied by a Russian gymnast. Downstairs apartment is occupied by two old British <laughs> sort of vaudevillian body, yes, raunchy actresses. Um, and uh, and Coraline sort of starts to explore this world, this new world that she has found, and uh, makes uh, makes one friend, uh, a young boy, uh, by the name of YB 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 born. Yeah. I think is his Wyburn. full name, yeah. but YB. Yes. Um, and she calls him Why Why were you born? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she sort of she doesn't really make a friend with him, I guess, at least to begin with. She kind of um, sees him as but, like a, an annoyance, really. Yes, because yeah. he's kind of he's kind of an annoying little kid with a lot of stupid gadgets and a little sort of pedal powered motorcycle and you know the whole nine yards. Yeah, she's not really interested, I think, in in making friends or uh, extending an olive branch with him. I would say. No, in fact, I would say that she feels very alone in her life. Her parents seem to ignore her. They're more wrapped up in what they are doing. They're both writers, and uh, and they they moved out to the country to write about gardening, but they're both kind of hate to get out in the dirt and the mud mm-hmm. and Coraline loves all of those things and can't really understand it. And one night she discovers a door in this new pink palace, a little tiny door in the wall. And she opens it up and goes through a portal. And on the other side of the portal is a mirror world to the one that she is currently existing in. Indeed. And in that mirror world, everybody has buttons for eyes and they seem to be the polar opposites. So she has parents in this world, the other mother and other father, who seem to be the polar opposites of her real mother and her real father. They're interesting. Mm-hmm. And they have personalities. They're interesting. They have personalities. They seem to love her and dote on her, and they cook breakfast and right, you know, yeah. do all kinds of great They things. do all the things that she wants her real parents to do. Exactly. And 
we discover over time that uh, she wants to live in this world, and uh, and we get hints here and there that it's a little more insidious than it appears at first, mm-hmm. aside from the fact that they all have buttons for eyes, which is pretty creepy to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it, it sort of grows increasingly more insidious and uh, and dark, and soon she finds herself trapped in that world and has to escape. Right. Um, and that makes up the, the plot of the film. And I love this movie (laughs) i love it not just for the animation which is absolutely spectacular uh, unbelievable uh it should be said that this is uh leica specializes in stop motion plasticine animation Mm -hmm. uh, which is the same sort of thing that if you're familiar with aardman animation wallace and gromit or the pirates more recently um (laughs) <laughs> they make fantastic films. Very funny, very, very engaging, enjoyable films. Chicken and Run. And they've been doing Chicken Run, <laughs> yeah, yeah Chicken which is let's, great. Let's not uh, forget that one. No, Chicken Run's fantastic, man. Um, and they, they do a, a lot of really great work with plasticine models. And Leica has sort of taken... Uh, Leica is to Ardman kind of what Pixar is to Disney, uh, in the way that I see it. Like, they, they kind of... They're trying to push the boundaries of what is possible with animation, yes. especially in the world of uh, of, of stop motion. There, whereas um, Ardman might be like making really, really uh, fun and interesting worlds and beautiful, rounded out characters and really, really funny movies. Uh, Coraline is doing that same thing, but then also trying to to move the the sort of you know, yard marker down the line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, Coraline is definitely sort of like pushing the boundaries of what you can do. This is actually at one hour and 40 minutes long, the longest stop motion film to date. And, yeah. and, and if you, if you sort of read up about this movie and, and you know, like you'll, you'll find more and more sort of bits of trivia that just really explain and, and cement the idea of just how complicated making this movie was. You know, like there's at one point in the movie, she shows 16 different facial expressions in a span yeah. of 35 seconds. I mean, it's it's stop motion animation to me is I could I would go insane trying to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. especially something like this. It's you, I would lose my freaking mind if I had to just so carefully manipulate all these details frame by frame. Even but well, the amount the amount of discipline that you have to have to be able to do this. Yeah. Is is staggering. Yeah, even for one staggering. scene, it takes them like three months to just shoot one scene. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, was, I was actually watching. I was watching the the special features on this, and there is a, uh, a sort of like dreamy sequence of these kind of ribbon mice mm-hmm. uh, that they show at the end of the film, and it's it's something like maybe twelve seconds of film or something like that. And they said it took the animator who did that particular sequence. It took her. 66 days just to do 12 seconds of film yeah yeah like that's that's and intense it's the kind of it's the kind of filmmaking where there's absolutely no room for improvisation i would imagine i think you really have to pre-meditate and pre-plan every single thing you do yeah for sure for sure but the end result is astonishing Absolutely astonishing. I, I think that probably a lot of people who went to see this film or, or people who go to see Leica's films in general, mm-hmm. they probably chalk it up to being CG at this point because it looks so good. 
Yeah. You know, but it's but it isn't it, it, it almost even looks like it's just a stylistic choice that somebody may have chosen to do a, a CG movie with like a particular style. But having the knowledge that this is all painstakingly animated frame by frame, they take a they shoot a frame, they go in there, they move somebody's arm a fraction of an inch, they shoot another frame, you know, and it's not just moving one person's arm, you know, the 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 complexity of some of the shots in this film and the uh, complexity of some of the as you say, the expressions the or, scene mm-hmm. where or the other mother morphs is ridiculous. Oh yeah. I can't even imagine they had to have probably had a, a million models that they had to replace with every frame, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's just a staggering amount of work and, and the amount of dedication that a person has to have to do something like this, uh, just, just floors me. And I'm, I'm consistently impressed every time I see a movie like this. Yeah. And I think watching a movie like Coraline, once you are aware of how the film is made, it just, it just multiplies the enjoyment of watching the movie. I mean, exponentially, like it's just, it, you, you, you appreciate it on a whole different level. Now I actually, I, I really, I did like this movie a lot. I would say I even love the movie, but for me, it took too long in getting to the actual like the setup of the plot. Like mm. there was there was a moment in the movie, like forty minutes in, where it's the very first like really incredibly dazzling uh, setup we see. It's the setup when Coraline encounters her other father, and he's he's on like he shows the garden. He's in the garden. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's this moment where the camera just swoops up above, and we see what he's doing and it's this incredibly gloriously beautiful outstanding thing that I feel like I I wanted something like that to happen 15 to 20 minutes earlier in the film because I was I was I was feeling a little bit sort of like impatient or uh, so much of the beginning of the movie is this kind of dour premise where she's alone She's in this uh, these ugly surroundings. She's not connecting with anybody. She's not getting anywhere. She's just things are happening to her, but she's she's not being an active sort of character or a protagonist. It's just kind of aimless. And then the moment that changes all that is when she discovers the the door in the the, the wall. And I I just it took me a while to be like, okay, uh, now now I'm hooked. Now I'm absolutely dazzled. And I just feel like there should have been that moment that really got you that that inciting incident just maybe like 15 to 20 minutes earlier. Do you think that that was maybe an artistic choice on their part to kind of put you in her shoes even more so? Well, maybe. I mean, but I to me, it sort of harkens back to this idea that if you're going to not 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 necessarily that this was boring, but if you're going to show boredom in a movie, you don't bore the audience. Like there's a there's a way to show a person's plight or a person's unhappiness in a way that's still totally magical to watch. I think that's the responsibility of the filmmaker. I I see what you're saying. I I um, I don't know. I don't know that if you had taken that inciting incident and placed it that much earlier in the film, I don't know that the idea of contrast would be as stark. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you. I think that the reason that it takes so long at the beginning is. Because it is setting up the behaviors and your expectations for how uh, her mother and her father behave. And it's introducing some of the ancillary characters. Uh, you know, it, it, it needs to have all of those 
introductions there so you have a good understanding of what the world is that she's living in mm-hmm. before you travel to the other world, which is so uh, starkly the opposite mm-hmm. world. Um, I think I, I don't I don't think it would have had as much punch if you moved that incident forward in the film mm-hmm. because I, I don't think that you would be able to uh, be quite so surprised by the contrast. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I completely understand that they would, you know, they want to sort of give you a, a healthy dose of, of what her actual world is like. Um, and it, it, it makes sense once there is that moment when we have the, the otherworldly, you know, beauty, and then we can sort of see like, well, what a, what a stark contrast this is to, to what she was having before. It was just, they were, they were definitely, yeah. I mean, polar opposites in terms of, of what, you know, what her world was like before and then after. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I, I, I got hooked on the movie and, uh, there were definitely things about it that surprised me animation wise. Um, yeah. like one of the things that surprised me was the, uh, the two British ladies who were, yes. were who were voiced by French and Saunders, who are these two yeah, yeah. famous British comedians. They're very famous in in England, maybe not as much here, but they yep. it was an inspired choice to have them do the the voices. Uh, and uh, one of them is extremely busty, and uh, really, <laughs> I was kind of surprised. I was like, "Wow!" I mean, this is the movie's rated PG, and I was thinking, like, I'm not like a prude or anything, but I was actually interested. In, in sort of hearing what your guys' reactions were in terms of like, is this, was that a little bit much? Because I, she's got gigantic boobs and they're bouncing all over the place. <laughs> and you, you mean the, the play where she just has stars on them? Yeah, yeah. She's There's just no, pasties. Yeah, just yeah. pasties. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I wasn't shocked by it, nor did I think that it was out of place. I think that the exaggerated, uh, like everybody has an exaggerated body type. The, the, uh, gymnast, the Russian gymnast from upstairs has this enormous chest, these six-foot-long yeah. spindly legs, <laughs> these long spindly arms, and he's always doing these weird gymnastics, and it looks amazing and is really incredible. Also voiced by Ian McShane, who's yeah. incredible. Um, but uh, but I, I, I think that her exaggerated proportions were just uh, a great character design. And I think like they, just, they kind of fit in with the aesthetic of the background of that play, like yes. very, very like, you know, 16th century painting where that kind of thing would be normal. Yeah. She, yeah, she came out, she, she was essentially emulating the birth of Venus, the yeah. Botticelli painting. Right. Um, and even though in that painting, Venus is not particularly busty, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, I think more, more than that, to your point, Aaron, uh, it, uh, it better reflected their history. They were like a burlesque duo. Yeah. That's essentially what their their lives were in the theater, and that's you know that's why they they had they had essentially sold you know their their act was their bodies and their sexuality. So I think that it was it, there was for me there was nothing weird about it. I thought that it was wonderful character design. I thought that um, the contrast between this tall woman with as you say these enormous breasts and this tiny little uh, red haired uh, woman who who even even in the song that they sing mocks uh her her partner's endowments yeah. like it's it's really a great kind of uh uh back and forth that they have you know it's it's really quite i thought it was great 
I liked it too. I was just wondering what uh, <laughs> what you guys thought about the gigantic bosoms in it. Well, I don't. I you know it's interesting because I, I films didn't used to be quite. We didn't. There was a time when we weren't quite as uh, prudish yeah. as we are now. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a there's a film called Jabberwocky, right, uh-huh. from the '80s, which was a number of the people from Monty Python, although not the entire group. A number of the people from Monty Python made this film that was marginally successful in terms of not making money it wasn't successful in that way at all mm-hmm. but uh but in terms of being like a decent sort of fantasy comedy it was a weird movie but it was rated PG and it has full frontal female nudity in it like absolutely no question about it and it was only rated PG and that was not uncommon for the time mm-hmm. for that to be an okay thing it was only when we got into the 90s that people started yeah, later 90s really freaking out about that kind of well, stuff. Well, something really conservative happened to us, I think, in since Jabberwocky, you know, like yeah. with, you know, oh, yeah. music getting these labels as being obscene. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> one thing that kind of blows my mind is is if you look at Jaws from 1975, it's a violent movie. Um, it's oh, yeah. very bloody at times. I mean, kind of disturbing. But uh, but that actually was rated PG. Yeah. Um, and that's the actual PG-13 rating, if I'm not mistaken, was invented for Steven Spielberg. For Raiders of the Lost Ark, no, for Temple of Doom. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, but so you, then you've got this split. You got this this middle ground that some people can 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 shoot for. But um, well, but I think it's to been it, ultimately. I think that the PG-13 rating has been to the detriment of the entire movie industry because now now they make films. They water down films so that they can get a PG-13 rating so that they can sell it to the widest audience because the target audience for most films while they're in theaters now is teenagers yeah, uh, and, and preteens. And so they'll take a movie that should be an R-rated movie and they'll water it down so that they can sell it to more people so that they can make money on opening weekend because opening weekend is the only thing that matters mm-hmm. to the studios anymore. And it's this really kind of cynical cycle where all of our movies are getting watered down and movies that should have more adult content are not actually getting realized because the studios are making them. And then, of course, they can also make money by releasing the unrated version when yeah. they actually put it out on, on home video. Yeah, there's, there's a, you just touched on this whole, whole new sort of area that I really don't like, which is the, yeah, the yeah. DVD hook that they give you. You know, oh, watch the alternate opening. Watch the deleted scenes. Watch the yeah. six alternate endings. Yeah. <laughs> so, Watch, yeah, exactly. Watch the the NC seventeen rated version of Anchorman two. Just yeah, you know. <laughs> the five versions of Blade Runner. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> although, although to be fair, Blade Runner was the original director's cut of Blade Runner was like the first of those yes, director's cuts. It was, and it was a legitimate, like the movie was the the studio cut of Blade Runner was so legitimately different from the director's cut, mm-hmm. and the director's cut was so much better. Yeah. That it really made a lot of sense. And then it slowly gained popularity over the course of the 90s. Because I think that was released in the early 90s, like 91 or something it was like, like that. like 92 for the 10th anniversary, I believe. For the tenth, Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And then it sort of slowly gained popularity. And then by the time we got to the end of the 90s and on into the 2000s, it became a marketing gimmick more than an actual legitimate yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I have the briefcase. So. I own the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. Do. I've got it too. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think that what we were touching upon just now, though, is 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 something that is 
uh, germane to this conversation about Coraline, and that is that Coraline for a kids movie is really dark. Yeah, it's a really really dark film, uh, and uh, I love it for that. Well, I think yeah. it's kind of the same as the same principle as Toy Story, where you know he said, "I made this for me." It's great that all these families came to see it, but it right. wasn't made for children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that that is I think that you know as with so many things, you know when you allow your creators to have a certain amount of artistic freedom and to see their vision through to the end, oftentimes it's not gonna it's not gonna get rid of your audience. Yeah. You know, it's not going to. It, in fact, it might even broaden your audience because pe- people will, who might not otherwise be inclined or might think it's you know pablum or or just you know talking down to to their kids people might actually enjoy it and it's also always also nice to have something that the adults can enjoy and sort of tap into a little bit as well i think they were were heading back towards kind of a renaissance with that i mean even as far as like uh you know adventure time there's some pretty mature stuff on on that show it's not kid stuff on that show yeah but it's so great and and it's the kind of stuff that the kids wouldn't necessarily get in the first place so you're not it's not like you're shattering these kids you know, psyches. Yeah. Right. Well, even in, we, like we've had this conversation before about even like gargoyles where it used uh, to be, you could talk about whatever and ki- you can't, you, you're not talking down to kids. They know what you're talking about. Like the, the episode where the police woman leaves her gun on the table and yeah. one of the gargoyles grabs the gun and he's playing with it and he shoots her by accident. And then yes. by the end of the episode, he says, I apologize, I shouldn't have been playing with a gun. And then she says, I apologize, I shouldn't have left it laying around. And it's like, oh, it's taking responsibility for your actions. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless it's in some even sort in, of really, yeah. really obnoxiously, like, overplayed kind of... It doesn't even like, happen... In, well, you need to take responsibility yeah. for your actions. Even mostly kind of take place in adult films, let alone That's children true. films. Anyways. Good point, <laughs> That's yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, I, I remember uh, I was thinking about movies that I'd seen as a child that that had some some things that the adults could appreciate as well as darker elements, darker elements, and was, adult themes. One of the things that that instantly came to my mind was the Neverending Story, mm-hmm. because yeah. there's a there's a moment in particular. Artax, sure, all you guys know. Yep, yep. Uh, when Artax is in the swamp and he 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 can't swamp get out, sadness. he just can't get out, and. Um, uh, Atreyu, he's, he's sad. He's too sad. Atreyu is trying to get him out, but he just can't do it. And it's a slow death that we watch, where Artax sinks into the, the the muck, and it's incredibly affecting. And being affected is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and and having a sense of loss and depth, uh, death rather, and depth. Yeah, for that matter, um, are. Like that, that is something that I find so often missing, you know, as you say, Aaron, even from adult films, yeah. <laughs> but, but certainly from, uh, from children's films. I, you know, we grew up with all kinds of movies like that. I remember, you know, a lot of my favorite movies, movies like the dark crystal, the which Labyrinth, I think it's yeah. a magnificent labyrinth. Yeah. Like these deal with actual adult themes and are very, very adult in their presentation of them. They don't, they don't talk down to children. Mm-hmm. They don't, um, they don't political correctness. S- yeah, they, yeah. There's no, there's no political correctness about them. Uh, they, they are just are what they are. They, they, they treat their subjects with seriousness and, and respect, and because so you wind up with a better movie. Way. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's like they're just making a movie for for adults. They're 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 not thinking how can we calculate this to to create you know a certain message. You know, it's like Labyrinth in particular is a movie that where they basically said, okay, we want to tell this story, and we want to tell it exactly how we want to tell it. And they were aware that some kids are going to like it and some adults are going to like it. And it's it's not really the kind of thing that is pablum, like you guys were saying. It's just it's just intelligently done. Like I I realized recently, my niece is six years old, and she's uh-huh. she's extremely intelligent. And I realized that I can talk to her as if I were talking to you guys, because yeah. she acts up so much, and she she incurs all this kind of negative attention, and and people talk to her like she's like a small child. And I was like, you know what? I I think I can talk to this girl as I would talk to an adult, and. And we have we have conversations, and I'm not even joking. Like we, yeah, she's she acts totally different. Well, the, the, the generation grows up so much faster now. I mean, social media and everything. The kids are. But I don't. I don't even think that's necessarily it. I think that I think children throughout the ages, you just you you treat them like an adult, and they will. They not only will they like that for the most part. Mm-hmm. Kids don't necessarily like being treated like kids. Or trying to be con- but, <laughs> controlled as well. Or trying to be controlled, yeah. But but when you speak to a kid uh, and actually listen to what they're saying and try and uh, understand it and answer their questions and you know deal with them like another human being, <laughs> yeah, I think you find that they are perfectly capable of yeah. processing they, information. Yeah. You know, they may but, not be able to understand maybe, everything. Maybe more but, than you know, adult. Some adults yeah. <laughs> with closed minds that, that don't want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. They've already made up their minds. Yeah. Indeed. Well, you know, I mean, in, in kids' movies, I mean, just for the sake of this, we'll call Coraline a kids' movie, even though it appeals to adults. You know, the, the main characters are very resourceful. I mean, yeah. <laughs> none of that, Yeah, very independent. Yeah. None of the, the protagonists of kids' movies act up to get attention it seems they're always solving some kind of a problem um, and that's why they're appealing to people because these kids are, are taking charge of the situation and yeah in fact I would say Coraline is probably a better heroine to look at in a film than like say somebody like Black Widow in the Avengers movies or, or Captain America or something like, I don't know, you know she got out of but... that chair pretty quickly <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you get what I'm saying, though. Like, you know, I mean, like, just just because uh, I feel like, in fact, this is this is a whole other discussion that we don't need to have right now. But uh, but I feel like a lot of um, heroes nowadays, the way that they have to be presented, and I think this may be this sort of scourge of the comic book movie, uh, the the heroes and the way they're presented, they have to be know-it-alls who are, you know. Uh, just always kicking butt and taking names and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff instead of just being like intelligent and resourceful and uh, smart, <laughs> you know, it, it, that, that doesn't seem to be as not as much value seems to be placed on those things. So you will wind up with a, a heroine like Coraline who not only is smart and resourceful, but also has human flaws like, you know, wants and desires that are completely understandable <laughs> that get her into trouble. But then she's able to sort of, you know, work her way out of it. I mean, it's it's a very it's a very nice to see that kind of a a hero in in your movies. Yeah, yeah. I I, I really like this film. Glad we got to watch it. I'm looking forward to future works. 
from this uh, Leica studio. So I think that. Well, uh, yeah, you got to wait a little while between works because <laughs> <laughs> it takes them a long time to move those those plasticine models. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's our, our discussion about Coraline. Thank you again, Aaron, for, for being here. Oh, yeah. And thanks for suggesting it. Um, great suggestion. Uh, especially given the fact that our next episode is going to be another Leica film that is coming out this weekend. Yeah, well, we didn't, which is We didn't have to wait so long, did we? we no, we didn't. <laughs> uh, that movie is The Box Trolls, yeah. uh, a new release that, that we're going we're gonna to take a look at that and maybe uh, see how far Lake has come in the last five years. You just know they're going to, they're going to try and top Coraline. I'm sure they will. Of course. Yeah, of course. And Paranorman was a sort of a animation wise, a step above Coraline. It's, it's, I'm really actually very excited to see this movie. So, uh, so really stoked about that. Uh, So please join us for that. Thank you again, Aaron, for, for joining us for this episode and we will see you next time.